Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host, Brendan Sinone. Coming up today, we are going to finish off our Ask Me Anything series with Chris Nee asking me basically anything. So we'll be doing that after uh, we get through with this segment, which I'm really looking forward to. We have a special guest on. It is Josh Pate of 24-7 Sports. He is the host of The Late Kick. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. He has a Late Kick podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Late Kick Josh, but he's really sprayed all over the place on 24-7 Sports. Uh, I get nervous when we have like a real pro who talks into a mic for a living uh, on this podcast. So Josh, uh, welcome to the pod. Please, please don't embarrass me. You're really good at your job. Yeah. So here's the professional setup for me right now. I have an iPhone in my hand and I just had to get up off of a a couch and walk over to the window. And right now to maintain the signal with you, I'm like balancing my phone, pointing it towards the window, like the kid in the movie signs to pick up the alien uh, signal. That's what I'm doing right now. So yes, Brendan, that's the professional setup. That's how those of us in the professional world apparently operate. Yet somehow your audio is probably the best of any guest we've ever had. Uh, we'll see if the internet sticks and, and provides with it. But as far as the clarity of your voice and uh, God, iPhones are amazing. So, so I assume a lot of our listeners are familiar with their with your work. Obviously, if they're on twenty four seven sports, Knowles twenty four seven, they will see your videos all over the place. There's really cool, digestible like sound bites uh, that are interesting and insightful. But obviously, you have the full show too. Uh, Josh, can you kind of explain to us like your journey to 24-7 sports? I know you're kind of like a, a self-made man to, to get to this point. So I'd be curious to get in like the, the Cliff Notes version of, of how you got to this point. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm, I was working in a fabric warehouse listening to, well, at the time it was Sports Talk Radio. Podcasting wasn't really all that big. If podcasting were big in like 2010, it would have been nothing but podcast all day for me. But I was down in Columbus, Georgia, no AC in that warehouse. So basically the only thing you survived on was... Sports talk radio, and then basically how long do we have until lunch? But man, I always wanted to do it. I just always wanted to do sports media, but I didn't have a connection. I didn't have a family member in the business. I didn't have the right college degree. I didn't have anything. And so I begged the ESPN radio affiliate down there, can I just come in and watch the show be produced? And finally, basically to shut me up, they let me in there. And then about two weeks after that, one of the co-hosts called in sick right before the show. So I weaseled my way on air. And then I stuck there for two years and then went to television and ended up being a sports director, sports anchor, got my own college football show down in Columbus five nights a week, but always wanted to produce myself. I I elevated the news anchor there, but I always wanted to produce myself. And so one of the toughest decisions, man, even to this day that I made was turning down a nice extension, easily more money than anyone had ever put in front of me to be a news anchor to just take a chance. And they agreed to let me use their studio to produce a YouTube channel with a show called Late Kick that we just created down there. And about a year and a half later, a man by the name of Shannon Terry calls me up, who was at the time running 24-7 and said, hey, uh, why don't you just come do what you're doing right now, but do it for us instead. And so I came up here and that was January of what, last year? It feels like a decade has passed since then. But yeah, man, it's been a very interesting journey and a fun journey. Um, but it, I, I tell the story all the time and I enjoy telling it because I know there are thousands of people out there in comparable positions that think, well, I don't have an uncle who owns a TV station or I don't have a journalism degree from Northwestern. So uh, I can't get in that business. Yeah, you can just it, it, today more than ever. Yeah, you can just find a way and do it. 
I think like the Knowles 24 seven website's a great example. Like I went to the traditional route of journalism school and that's how I did it. But, but Josh and Chris who are bigger deals on the, the website than I am, like they did it in their own way and they, and they didn't go traditional like J school and, and they came in these interned at Florida state and, and worked and, and did their own thing. So yeah, th- there's to be said for being um, a grinder, for being creative, for taking chances. So, so Josh, when, when you get here, do you think your job, like the way you went about things, is it become easier during the pandemic or, or more difficult uh, based on, on how you went about your day-to-day job? Uh, that's a really good question. I think for 90, I'm, I would say 90% of our industry got harder. Um, life, let me separate life and the profession. Life got harder, but professionally, mm-hmm. it did not change one bit for me. Um, my personal kind of modus operandi is, I don't like to lean on a lot of outside stuff to stack our show, format our show, put together our show, because um, I want it to sound original and authentic. I don't want it to sound like we're just aggregating a whole lot of stuff other people said. And so we got ourselves, you remember this as well as anyone, this time last year, you get yourself into a situation where you don't know if you're going to have a season, all sports are stopped. And so essentially what that was for people in our business that just rely on the ability to aggregate other people's content is a conveyor belt shut off. And it was like working in an assembly line plant and all of a sudden that line stops moving. You don't have anything to, to build with and operate with. Well, to be honest with you, it didn't impact our show all that much, but it's because we had built our methodology differently. And you know, if you call yourself a creator then you should be able to create no matter the circumstances. And it's not really, Brendan, all that hard, man. We understand college football. It's all we're talking about. We're not trying to cure cancer or anything over here. It's not that important. And so at the end of the day, man, we just kind of chugged along. I believed the season would happen. I didn't really lose faith. It got kind of dark, but I never really Mm -hmm. lost faith. And so, you know, eventually when it came around, the two things that I told our staff is, Number one, we're going to put blinders on and keep creating. And number two, we're going to stay in our lane. We're not going to turn this political. We're not going to pretend to be epidemiologists. We're not doing any of that stuff. Let other folks do it. And if the audience wants it, they can go elsewhere. But I got a pretty, pretty good idea of what our audience wanted. And they stuck with us. And, you know, we've ended up growing the show, I think, quicker than we would have had things just been normal, which sounds counterintuitive. But I really believe that's the way it's worked so far legitimately like seeing your face and seeing your voice and, and you are hearing your voice and you were obviously new to 24 seven sports, but during the pandemic, like your videos being on the top of our content and stuff, it sounded normal. Like it felt refreshing. Like, okay, it was kind of like a beacon of, uh, of hope of, of a light at, at the end of the tunnel. It was like, okay, he's still talking about football. Like it, like it's normal, which was nice. Um, and, and then this upcoming month, so we're round, rounding out on May here, Josh, but June's coming up. Recruiting opens up. It's been a long time and our network obviously thrives on recruiting uh, and for players to be visiting campuses again for the first time in, in more than a year. Uh, what are you expecting? Like in terms of like, how are you going to handle coverage of that? What are you expecting in terms of just like the, I imagine there's going to be a, like a firework display, right? Come, come June 1st. And, and so how are you going to handle that? Well, you certainly, I don't think, I don't think you can draw on anything in the past to prepare yourself for what June's going to be. Mm-hmm. coaches can't do it much less people who are just making videos and shows about it so what i've done with our folks is i want us to just maintain the ability to pivot and be flexible transfer portal has been a lot of good practice for this you've probably mm-hmm. experienced the same thing i have i had no idea how popular the transfer portal was going to be just from a content piece perspective and to give a little inside baseball 
you know, for your listeners who don't get to see our our listener and viewership metrics every day, oh, I, I'm looking at a screen with that stuff on it right now up to the second. You know, NIL is talked a whole lot about. I think it's talked more about in sports media than transfer portal. Mm-hmm. But if your job is to give the audience what they want, we get click-throughs and we get traction on transfer portal at a five-to-one ratio to NIL. <laughs> so one thing the audience cares more about, the other thing it seems writers and talkers care more about. So when it comes to recruiting, now this June 1st floodgate that's going to open, I, my instinct tells me a whole lot of people are going to be fascinated by it. And therefore, if they are, we're going to pivot hard towards covering that the way it should be covered. If that means doing every show two days a week about it, if that means you know grabbing Wilt Fong along with a lot of our team site guys and doing something every day about it, it, it all comes down to serving, man. That's all we do. We serve an audience. And so I think the audience is going to be hungry for it. I don't think even as we've talked about it a lot, I really still don't think a lot of people are grasping What's about to happen? It's like hearing a tsunami warning, but because you can't see the wave yet, it's like you don't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a month unlike any month we've ever seen in recruiting. With that in mind, Josh, you tweeted out the other day, and this is a big reason why I have you on the pod today because it's relevant to the FSU market. You tweeted out buy stock and FSU recruiting, had a funny gif associated with it, and FSU Twitter did what it does. They, they, they blew it up. They retweeted it a lot and, and liked it. And all right, Josh Pate is, is bought in. And, and that was further fuel to the fire of people being uh, into what Mike Gravel is doing at FSU and being optimistic. We play a game here on, on the bench called buy or Sinone. I'm buying that all day. I'm also not for sure. Bye, baby, bye. I am Sinoning it, but not. No. I'm going to Sinone it. I'm definitely Sinoning that. Big Sinone. I buy that. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I Sinone both of you. You can't us. We're doing a little buyer Sinone. Buying Sinone. This segment is going to die because you are allowing the fans to do it. A new game I just created like 10 minutes ago, and it's probably going to be awful, but we'll see. We're going to try it out, right? Buyer Sinone, Josh. I'm confused. For now, I'll say no. This is such a confusing game, and I I like it. Why do you let the fans do this? They're this terrible. You need to write the buy or Sinone questions. Do not let them write these. Buy or Sinone. Are, are you a fan of animal statues being realistic? Uh, Anatomically in, correct. In the nether regions. I'm not a fan of it, no. So you're Sinoning it. <laughs> yeah. Play the game right. I buy. This, this whole segment's I, deteriorating. Um, I'll buy. Mm, you know what? I'll buy two. I don't know. No, I'm Sinoning it. No, I'm buying it. Whew, confusing game. Buying it. Play this game with you, uh, and let's start off with buy or Sinone FSU recruiting. I'm buying it hard, man. I'm excited about it, too. Like, I, I, I'm not a believer that you should always be unbiased. If you're a commentator. Now, if you're if you're calling yourself a journalist, I don't call myself a journalist. If I were calling myself a journalist, I wouldn't say what I'm about to say. But I'm not. I'm just a commentator. So, man, I'm pulling for Florida State big time. I hope that what we are feeling right now, and I know a lot of the listeners are feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm up in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm feeling it. And so I hope it's real. Uh, I, I have talked very candidly on Late Kick several times about Florida, Miami, and Florida State. But let's focus on FSU here for just a second. Florida State becoming a powerhouse again in recruiting would do more to balance college football out than any adjustment you would ever make to the postseason format. Mm-hmm. Talent is why there's imbalance. It's not any kind of postseason format. It's talent. 
And so if you keep the talent at home in the state of Florida, not only does Florida State's roster get better, but what if you're taking two or three difference makers per year off of the roster of Clemson or or, um, Alabama, Ohio State, man? I've just never believed that kids are growing up in, in Lake City or Ocala saying, you know, Columbus, Ohio sounds like the place for me. They're going there because that's where they feel like they got to go to to best put themselves in position to get where they want to go. But when Norvell got hired at Florida State, I think two of the main questions that were asked, I only really bought into halfway. If you can win at Memphis, you can win at Florida State because you have comparable resources at Memphis to your competition, and he excelled. I didn't worry about that part. It's the same with Brian Harson going to Auburn. I don't worry about whether he can win. It always comes down to, can these G5 guys come in here and recruit the way we want them to recruit? And uh, that was that was a concern with me for uh, Mike Norvell. But then you start to open your eyes and you start to not only see the headway that they're making, and you saw them take the transfer portal ultra seriously, which hopefully will pay dividends in the form of a couple of close wins this year to get them over that, what is the over under five and a half wins? Mm-hmm. So let's hope that catches. We can circle back to that in a second. But I think that that entire staff has buy-in right now. And when you talk to not just people on the staff, when you talk to high school coaches, the high school coaches all sing the same tune. They say that new staff they got in there, that's about as serious as we've seen an FSU staff take recruiting in quite a while. And that's where the best feedback comes from. Because you could have a source on the coaching staff pump you full of sunshine all day. When you have the high school coaches in South Georgia and in the panhandle of Florida and likewise, when you have them talking your staff up and they have really no incentive to do it, that's when I start to take it seriously. And that's why, well, that's one of many reasons I've started to take Florida State recruiting seriously. All right. So so you kind of touched on this uh, for the next question for Byers Sinone. Byers Sinone, FSU gets to at least six wins this season. Six, the magic number. Yep. I'm going to buy it. Uh, right. So I was looking, I was looking over this this morning, actually. Um, I'm going to say I was preparing for our conversation, but I really didn't know we were going to go here. Listen, here's how simple it is for me. Okay. I've got their schedule in front of me right now. I look at uh, this. Are, these are my numbers and they'll, they'll be right. So North Carolina, uh, Clemson, Miami, Florida, those four games right now, if we played those today, Florida state would be a double digit dog game. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's just, for the sake of argument, let's say those are losses. Uh, and with, with all, always the potential for an upset. And then you're going to probably be a double-digit favorite against Jack State, uh, Syracuse. So let's count those two as wins. Well, we need four more wins. That's really what we're looking for to hit that over. Mm-hmm. Here's the difference. McK- to me, Mackenzie Milton's the difference. And a guy like Jermaine Johnson or someone like that, like really popping and you getting a huge return on your transfer portal investment. But quarterback position paramount here because of this, Brendan. Think about the fact that that game at Wake Forest, it'll be uh, less than a touchdown underdog. So it'll be a close line. The game versus Louisville, it'll be right around a pick em. The game uh, versus NC State, same. It's right around a pick em. Go to Boston College. It's three or four-point spread. What I'm saying is your quarterback playing at an A level or a C-plus level is the difference in winning those games versus losing those games. I know the thin nature of a lot of these positions, but we're not talking about getting to nine wins. We're talking about getting to six wins. Quarterback's going to be the difference there. I'm choosing to buy in on the quarterback position because it's not year one, it's year two. We had a spring versus not having a spring. And so I also believe the trajectory in general of the program and the energy of the program, even though it's intangible in nature and it's hard to numerate that, I believe it's going to be worth at least six wins. By Orsonone, Chick-fil-A fries are overrated. 
what's the middle? Can we push on this? I mean, we we can we can we call that taking the out, and that's fine. You're allowed to take an out. So so you're yeah. you're you think they're properly I, rated? I, well, I'm going to tightrope it, so I'm going to I'm going to ride the fence here. And, and the trick is to put one leg on each side. By the way, if you want to ride the fence, <laughs> oh, God. So so what? Here's my my beef is either a when they cook them too hot and then they cool disproportionately. The center remains like a firecracker, and the edges get cold. Okay, that is the design flaw, and I'm ready, willing, and able to admit that. But my bigger beef is when they don't salt them enough. Because what I think happens uh, is some old disgruntled lady comes through the drive-thru every day and she complains about the salt content. She's like the vocal minority on Twitter. And then, because Chick-fil-A is so nice, like they try never to offend anyone in their entire lives, they just acquiesce to the request to the detriment of the rest of us. And so if we could find a way to fix the cooling design flaw and the salt content, then I would, I would push back on this. But right now, I think there's some validity to it. Uh, I think the, I agree with you uh, when they're coming out, it depends on situationally when they come out of, of the fryer and you're there at the restaurant, that's an a game level fry. They do not travel. Well, that's my issue. By the time you get them home, if you're doing drive through uh, they cool off, they get soggy and it goes from a great fry to one. That's one of the worst fries out there. So I think it depends situationally. You, you know, you could argue Chick-fil-A in general is a good home field advantage. Like when I'm on the road, mm-hmm. if I'm headed down, if I'm headed down to Florida, we uh, from Georgia, you know, we would always get to South Georgia. We would get on 75 and then, you know, there's the same Chick-fil-A. I used to always stop at down there. And I am normally a drive through guy. 95% of my life, I've been a drive through guy. But man, I get so uplifted when I go in that one Chick-fil-A. I'll just go in there. That place has home field advantage. It makes the food taste better. I haven't smiled all morning so far. And then those people go ear to ear on me. And listen, burn my tongue, scald it clean <laughs> off my face. That's okay. As long as I feel good. All right. You mentioned signs earlier uh, and Chris Nee hates the movie signs. I love it. Uh, Buyers to know the movie signs as an underrated sci-fi horror flick. It's absolutely by, I yeah. sat on the couch at, at my parents' house with my dad recently. And I watched this movie and he had never seen it. He's got strong feelings on aliens, namely that they don't exist. I'm not pro alien or anti alien. <laughs> I, I just don't, I'm kind of riding the fence on that whole situation too. But my point is, I get, I get very, very tired of people who watch an obvious sci-fi movie and their number one beef with it is it's not realistic. But first <laughs> off, which aliens you, that you've ever experienced are we comparing these aliens to? And number two, like, do we, th- there was none of that disclaimer based on a true story. It's not like that train movie with Denzel based on a true story, based on actual events. And thirdly, I'm going to tell you what really aggravated me now that I'm talking about people <laughs> comparing real and fake. I used to have people all the time make fun of me for watching pro wrestling. They would talk about it being rigged and whatnot. And okay, I mean, I don't call it that, but I get how wrestling works. But then these fools would go off and watch Star Wars like their life depended on it. And I would ask, what are we doing here? I'm willing to listen to someone criticize my taste in entertainment as maybe leaning towards things that are predetermined and not realistic. But you can't do that and then go watch Star Wars. That's that's my only complaint. as I'm thinking about signs here and I, and I love wrestling. I love star Wars. Everyone just needs to, you know, we all just need to get along here and just expand our horizon. If you know, maybe stuff's real, maybe it's not, who cares? It's entertaining. Is that all we're doing? But in signs, when the alien walks by spoiler, if you haven't seen it by now, you know, (laughs) 
when it walks by the window when they're doing the, like in, when they're in Brazil at the birthday party and it walks by the the window and like everyone starts screaming. It's a top ten scary moment for me in a movie. Even now, it still holds up, even though you know it's coming. It's horrific. It's great. It's great. Yeah. And how about jo- Joaquin Phoenix just locked in the closet and they're showing <laughs> news footage? And since it's from Brazil, he just starts yelling, "Vamanos, children, get out of the way, Vamanos." <laughs> And Joaquin Phoenix is really, really good at it. Mel Gibson, before he goes crazy, is really good in it. Like, yeah, it's that's a buy for me, too. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, by Orsonone, FSU's approach to the name, image, likeness law uh, with the Apex NIL program. I've talked about it a little bit before. You you buying the way they're handling that or Sonone in it? I'm buying it because I think what they're doing is going to be what a lot of programs end up doing. But a lot of this is about optics, man, because I'm a believer five years from now, this thing will have calibrated itself and pretty much everyone's going to be doing a version of the same thing. So where do you win? Well, you win on the front end and you win with messaging. And Florida State, I made it a point to really um, sort of amplify what they were doing because they were one of the first ones who came right to the stage and they put a microphone in front of their presentation and they said, you know what we're going to do? We're not just going to say we're taking it seriously. We're going to tell you exactly what we're going to do. We're going to tell you the uh, organizations we're partnering with. And here's, the, to me, the most important part. While everyone else is out there worried about kids signing shady deals with car dealerships and whatnot and autograph memorabilia dealers, here is where the rubber meets the road. All this stuff, all this footage, all this digital content we own that is of you know Johnny Five Star, well, he's going to own it now. You know, he's going to have access to it. Well, that's where that's tangible. That's something you can actually grab and sink your teeth into and say, okay, that is a portion of what the NIL pie is really going to be. Instead of talking in these sort of abstract semantics like everyone else does, it's kind of like when you ask someone what's wrong with the world today, they go, well, you know, social media and stuff. That doesn't tell me anything. It's just like, what is the future of college football? Well, it's NIL. That doesn't tell me anything. When Florida State tells me, a finer point example is our four, our four-star running back is going to own the digital content that we previously owned the rights to, and we're going to give it to him, and he can use it on his TikTok channel or Instagram account, and that's going to be worth X amount of dollars per year depending on what the market determines his value to be. That's a big deal, and I mm-hmm. think a lot of people took notes from that. I had an athletic director privately uh, text me after I was talking about that with Florida State that day on Twitter, and he said... We're doing a version of that, but I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that that opened our eyes a little bit. Let us know that maybe we got a little bit of work to do, and maybe we have not fully thought that portion of this through. Well, since then, that program has gone on to release their platform, and it is a centralized part of it. So Mm -hmm. Florida State was sort of a leader in this pack so far, at least as far as I can tell. Uh, FSU has done a few things that have been cutting edge that uh, maybe five years ago or so, like they were behind on a lot of things. I mean, Mike Norvell having the youth uh, clinics where he's going around and touring and, and, you know, you can't see recruits, but you can see, you know, fifth graders, sixth graders, eighth graders, and talk to their coaches and their coaches talk to the high school coaches and you make bonds with parents. And I know some other schools around the Southeast have been like legitimately jealous and irritated that FSU is doing it, but they found a loophole. Uh, so they, they've been very creative. I will give a lot of credit to administration, Mike Norvell compliance for finding different ways to maximize the assets they do have. Um, let's see. Okay. I got a couple more for you here, Josh by Orsonone friends, the reunion. Well, I have to sonone it because I never really watched the original Wire to Wire. I've seen individual episodes of Mm -hmm. Friends. But look, I saw a preview of this. I was watching something else last night, and I saw sort of the promo 
run in front of my face. I was watching whole nine yards. I'd never seen that movie before. So that lets you know how my vacation's going. So I was watching <laughs> that and then they ran the Friends reunion. And here's here's all I know. I can tell when someone's working me to use, again, a pro wrestling reference. And when I watch a bunch of people who are getting like eight, nine figure royalty checks, try and pretend like they're just ho-hum, you could run into me at any gas station in America. We're all buddies. We all hang out. Still look at us. We, we're going to build a treehouse after we film this. I have a tough time buying it. But then again, I don't have an emotional connection to the characters. If you were to show me like the cast from Nickelodeon's Are You Afraid of the Dark gathering around the campfire again. Okay, I'm all there for that reunion. I don't care how old they are and how decrepit they look, but the friends, are you on board with this? Because I'm, I'm having uh, trouble. Uh, my wife and my mom are both big fans of friends. I will chuckle at it. Uh, I don't find it like, uh, I will never go out of my way to watch it. I find it enjoyable. Uh, I have an idea. Well, it's not my idea. I, I heard an idea. I think it's a great one, and I would be all on board with this. I think you would, too, because it kind of blends the Are You Afraid of a Dark dynamic. Uh, one of the producers on the Dan Levitard show had the idea of a friend a couple years ago, a Friends reunion, but it's Friends, ellipses, dot, 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 question mark, and it starts off with them all getting back together, and then the lights turn off, and Phoebe's dead, and then it's a murder mystery. I would be all in on that. I think that would be a, a hell of a heel turn. Another I think term. I think it's a beautiful idea. And what's her name? Lisa Kudrow, isn't mm-hmm. that who played Phoebe? Okay, yeah. here's how you really hammer it home. Just have her go totally silent on social media for like a year. <laughs> and so we are selling, selling, selling. I would buy into that. That would probably bring me to the table. And I'm a totally agnostic Friends fan. All right, well, let's pitch it to some of the people, the higher-ups at, at NBC or whatnot. We'll, we'll cross-pollinate between CBS and NBC and make it happen. Uh, by Orson Own, a podcast with yourself and with On the Bench co-host Josh Newberg called Just Joshing Around. Yeah, Josh Squared. Uh, I think it's probably oh, taken. I mean, if no one's oh. thought of that before, shame on them. But yes, <laughs> I would buy it, and I don't even care what Newberg wants to talk about. Let's just do it. I think you guys would figure it out uh, pretty quickly. I think the chemistry would be pretty dynamic. Uh, I will take 10% of royalties for that, and, but, but that's it. That's it. Uh, all right, last question for you here, Josh. By or Sinone, Mike Norvell, just in general. I would have Sinone this last year. Mm-hmm. I am buying this now. I was talking about that shift that I have and some of the doubts. I, I'm not going to say doubts. I'm just going to say question marks. I didn't have a reason to think he can't do something, but with how hard this business is, and how hard this this job is to have, the job of head coach. I'm just naturally skeptical until someone proves me wrong. I guess that's my sort of negative, slanted view of the world these days. But he has, and it hasn't come on the field. I want to stress that. A lot of people believe, well, let me scratch that. A lot of people will not believe until they see it. To me, there's very little skill in that. I mean, a, a blind monkey can have someone tell him, hey, Mike Norvell won 10 games this year, monkey. What do you think? Well, he would say, ooh, ah, but if you translated that, it would be, I'm buying now. Well, that's easy, man. Like, hopefully, if someone's paying you some money to talk about college football, let's try and see around the corner every now and then. And so if I'm trying to see around the corner, I'm buying him now. All the signs, there's a, there's a reference from previously, <laughs> all the signs that would exist in previous staffs that have gotten it right are showing themselves with Norvell. The high school coaches are singing his praises. You're seeing recruiting being taken ultra seriously. What are they holding, like 50 camps in one night coming up soon? And Mm -hmm. so they're putting an emphasis where emphasis should be. You and I both just talked about how many different areas, unique aspects of these programs, and this one in particular, 
have all of a sudden appeared to be a little bit ahead of the curve as opposed to being well behind it. So all the telltale signs are there. I know that you got to get it done on the field on Saturdays in the fall. I know that. That's why this is speculative. But whereas I would have been on the other side of this a year ago, I'm going to buy him now. I'm with you. I think, like you said, you got to win games. That's why I said six is the, that's why I set the over under five and a half. I guess Vegas is too, but that hitting that six win mark just gives them some rocket fuel with everything else they're doing, but you got to hit it. It's going to be big. Um, all right, Josh, that's everything I had for you. Did, did I do this? Did I have you come and do this podcast while you were on vacation? Did I, did I catch that? Right. I didn't know my bad. I apologize. Well, as you know, I mean, I I just wave the flag twenty four seven. Well, it is it's a company called twenty four seven, as it turns out. So, no, man, I'm yeah, I'm on vacation, but I'm kind of still working. Like I I attended a meeting this morning on vacation, so I do not advise other people to follow my lead on this. It's not a lead at all. If anything, I, I carry the ball and chain with me on vacation, and then just continue to sort of be plugged in. It's hard, man, with so much going on right now. I. I intentionally say on our show, like we do not believe in off season mm-hmm. and it's not just some slogan, man. Like there is stuff going on year round. It's got to be what NFL beat reporters have felt like for a long time. Cause that's yep. what college has kind of turned into with the transfer portal. No, it's added to the, to the aspect. I had to have Chris knee tell me like on my honeymoon a couple of years ago, like, you know, stop, stop, stop writing right now. So you can follow Josh at late kick, Josh, also the late kick podcast, Josh, thank you so much for joining us here on the bench. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. Anytime. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to On the Bench. Now it's my turn to ask anything I want. But actually, I'm just asking the questions you guys sent in. This time, Brendan Sinone is sitting on the hot seat. So are you ready, Brendan? I'm ready hot, for this? On the hot bench. You didn't think I was going to do this, but here I am ready to do it. All right. <laughs> Let's not waste any time. Many questions were asked of you. You're a popular man. And also, they want to know if you're dating Newton. Norvell <laughs> asks, how did you get into this profession? Uh, first off, Newton, Noel, and I, are, I wouldn't say what we do is, is dating, and I'll leave it at that. Uh, how did I get into th- this profession? Um, I pretty like early on, man, like I, I, I was in middle school and I realized I wanted to do something in sports. I grew up uh, playing basketball and, and football, like organized and, and basically doing sports year round and was really into it. I watched Orlando Magic like every single game, like all 82 uh, Jags fan, uh, FSU fan. Um, so I, I watched sports all the time and I started like doing my own like production shows and stuff with like, uh, like action figure, like, uh, like Jim Kelly action figure, Mark Brunel, like action figure toys and stuff for my parents. So I was like always like from pretty young age, like trying to put together, uh, different types of sporting content. 
Um, it wasn't good, obviously, because, you know, it was action figures. But so so middle school, I, I was into it. Uh, in high school, I got into yearbook uh, largely with and I was playing football uh, through high school too, organized there and, and did weightlifting and some track, too. But I really wanted to, like, get into the riding aspect of of sports because uh, I realized I liked riding. I felt like I was decent at it. Uh, and it was something I was passionate about. So I did yearbook worked all the way through, like from being a freshman in yearbook and worked up the, the ladder there was the editor in chief. Not a big surprise. I was nerdy and an editor in chief, uh, of my yearbook, uh, as a senior. And, uh, and I also started like doing a, a few different like sports blogs, you know, not getting paid, nothing big, but, but stuff to where at least there was an audience at a, at a few different, uh, things writing about like the Orlando magic and the Jacksonville Jags. And also in high school, I started interning at the Orlando Sentinel. They had a really, really cool program for uh, for high school juniors and seniors uh, that they had over the summertime where you had to go cover like the, the NBA Summer League, got to go cover uh, Tampa Bay Bucks training camp. You got to do some stuff at Disney. Uh, so you got to do these really cool events and, and get to work with uh, different people at the Orlando Sentinel. My mentor was Chris Hayes, who, who I'm still really good friends with today. Uh, and he was really patient with me and helped teach me there. And um, you know, he covers recruiting now for the Sentinel and does a really good job of doing that. And uh, and then I ended up becoming a stringer for the Orlando Sentinel, which means I basically just got paid per story. And I was doing that while still in high school. Uh, ended up going to UCF, got my journalism degree, continued to say that's something I wanted to do. Started like really kind of doing almost like what Zach started doing for us, Chris, like where I would go and uh, cover recruiting on my own and and uh, then start doing it like for the, I started doing it for the UCF uh, scout website and got paid for it and then started getting paid to do that for the Orlando Sentinel eventually. And then eventually it turned into a, a full-time job about a year after college. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how my journey in journalism was it's like something I decided I wanted to do pretty early on and just kind of kept cranking away at it. So that's a great intro to my question that was in there. Uh-oh. Since coming to work here at Knowles 24-7, have you ever just had that moment where you asked yourself, what the hell have I gotten myself into? <laughs> yes, yes, I have many a time. Um, so I started coming to cover FSU in 2013 for the Orlando Sentinel. It was a hell of a first year, right? Jameis Winston National Championship. It was a good introduction into covering college athletics, but it was crazy. I joined Knowles 24-7 and what was it, Chris, 2016? So so as things were starting to kind of like take a, a downward turn. Um, yeah, it all started with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I take full responsibility. Like I was good luck. at Maybe I should go back to the Sentinel. I don't know. That seems, things seem to work out better for, for FSU that way. But uh, no, the, the toughest point where I was really kind of like having an existential crisis, which isn't like too rare for me, given the, <laughs> the anxious creature that I am, but where I was legitimately like looking at job boards and like contemplating, like, do I want to go back to school? Do I want to get out? This was a similar breaking point for you, Chris. And almost kind of like right around in it, we alluded to it in the podcast yesterday was uh, the 2017 season at the end of, the, of that year. Uh, it was so miserable covering this team. Uh, Jimbo Fisher was checking out. We had ideas that he was checking out, but didn't know like for sure, like, was he leaving? Was he just like done with the staff and going to can everyone. Uh, but in, in addition to him just being a miserable human being that year, um, it was the first year for the like sports info staff. So like new sports info staffs in there and they're having to deal with this cantankerous, angry Jimbo and don't know, you know, quite the right buttons to push. And he basically like shut down media to like, like made it really difficult for, uh, for the sports info staff to get players to come talk to us. So we were getting like, say the Miami hurricanes, uh, you know, uh, rivalry game. Then we got two or three players to talk to that week, all backups. Uh, so there wasn't anything to write about. And in the meantime, 
you know, when I was in the newspaper world, you could write one story a day and that's it. And they're content with it. That's not how it works at Knowles 24 seven. That's not how our network works. Like the expectation is that we crank out a ton of content and, and that's why they're able to afford to have, you know, yourself and, and me and Josh and, and pay for Zach to be an intern too. Like that's why we're able to, to afford a, a good staff is because we work really hard and, and make the company a lot of money um, through that sweat equity. There just wasn't stuff to write about, man. So uh, around the same time that you alluded to, you had the conversation with our, with our boss, uh, Pat, and, and we were talking to him about like things to do and, and you hit it your breaking point where you just start screaming, Pat, Pat. Yeah, I, I, I may have yelled at Pat roughly half a dozen times. But that's what Pat exists for. Like Pat's there to take the bullets to say it nice. Yeah, he, he is. He's he's. We in do the like Pat officially. Yes, we do like Pat. He has a tough job just to kind of manage a bunch of different personalities and to to take the the haymakers and punches when we're mad at stuff. And 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 that's what he does. And he does it. He does it well. Like that's part of his capacity. Uh, obviously, more than that. But but so I mean, you were spiraling, Chris. Uh, Josh seemed disinterested at that point in covering the team because it wasn't really recruiting point yet, and there was no recruiting. Remember? There yeah, no around recruiting. October, they literally just stopped recruiting entirely. Right. So yes, it was it was dreadful. To you know, sometimes when a team is good, you can lean real heavy on recruiting. And sometimes when they're real bad, which that team was, you can lean heavily on recruiting. And in our case, we couldn't even lean on recruiting because all we were leaning on was, "Holy hell, all these kids are going to be leaving this class." Yeah. So I was, I was looking around me for help, and like I, it just didn't exist because everyone else was in the same spot I was. Like usually, if someone's having a rough time uh, on our on our staff, like someone else is doing okay can kind of like lift them up and, and carry the weight for a little bit. It just, that didn't exist. And I mean, I reached out to one of my college professors at that time, Chris, like, and, and I was like, how do you cover this type of situation? Because it, and like explain again, it's not just that there's nothing to write about. It's also that the expectation is to write 70 to 80 things a month. And there's not seven. So that was a point in time where I was like starting to actually look at different careers and obviously happy that I stuck it out because like we figured, figured things out here as a network and as a website. But, but yeah, man, there was certainly a point where I was like, why, why am I doing this? All right. We're almost ready to dive into football, but I'm going to combine two questions real quick. J rod 31 actually asked in my AMA and we didn't answer it about our roles on the website. Um, so I'll let you start with that. Sonona. I'll chime in as needed. So have at it. Yeah. Correct. Correct me if, but this is how I see it. And I, I do think it's interesting. Like I think people in general, like kind of lump us all in thing. We're doing the same thing. And, and I would be interested to get like other people's thoughts before listening to this, actually exercise, write down, pause this real quick and write down what you think we do and, and how we do and what the roles are split up. So, all right, do you want pause? Uh, so I think that we'll start with you, Chris, like your role is you are overarching to doing a little bit of everything. Your hand is in every single cookie jar. I think a majority of your time spent, if I had to break it up, would be like probably 30% recruiting, 30% football, uh, math here, 20% baseball and basketball. No, 20% Bas- basketball, 15% baseball, and then 5% miscellaneous. Is that, is that yeah, 100%? That's, that's pretty good, yeah. Okay. And so, and so what Chris does though, like that a lot of people don't see is the administrative site of the website, making sure the front page is clean. Uh, we know what the pinning situation is like, but more so uh, updating player profiles, updating photos and, and profile systems, things that help out the entire network, uh, sending out the email regularly, doing the tweets. Like I just, when I write a story, I know Chris is going to tweet it out. Uh, so that's where like you, you talk about like five minutes here, five minutes there. That's where a lot of his day goes is into those administrative things that are essential to keeping the website uh, going, but but obviously he he's in the trenches with you know texting coaches or players or you know, high school 
sources, whatever, he's doing all that different stuff to to make sure we're having news and fleshing it out on the back end as well. Uh, Josh is, to me, more big picture in the content he produces. It's more about uh, finding what's going to be an interesting story, what's going to be the trending story, what's going to move the needle. Uh, where and, th- and that's almost exclusively recruiting stuff that he does. Uh, whereas Zach does like more like the the, the trench work uh, for recruiting, where he's reaching out to all the different players, going to practices, uh, and, and so that's the recruiting dynamic that those two guys do mostly exclusively for recruiting. And I'm the football beat writer, and that's yeah, you know, I, I do almost like eighty to ninety percent of what I do is, is about the football team specifically, whether it's practice updates, whether it's you know, talking to Mike Norvell, uh, doing analytics stuff, and things, you know, trend stories, feature stories. And then I'll dabble into the waters with recruiting to help out like with transfer portal stuff or if my sources can help, uh, you know, tie a few things together here for, for Chris and, and Josh and Zach. I'll do that as well. Uh, and then obviously Chris helps out a good deal with, with football as well. So that's the breakdown. Uh, anything to add to that, Chris? Josh, when coaching comes up, is a big player in that. But yeah. that's one of those things that comes and it goes. It's not an every year thing. And the addition of Zach, who I don't even want to call an intern anymore. Right. One, because we're paying him to some degree. And two, because he works his backside off and he's far greater than any intern I've ever met. Um, he's done a great job of helping alleviate some of that recruiting need for me, which I appreciate greatly because it's freed me up, you know, during kind of a weird year to do more hoops, more baseball and not feel so divided having to do three things at once. When I'm sitting at a baseball game this year, I'm focusing on a baseball game. I'm not texting with recruits as much as I may have had to do, mm-hmm. may have had had to do in the past. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but no, I think that's a good explanation. I think, you know, we, we don't always define it, but we, we all like dabbling in different things and doing it. And I think it's kind of good because I think if you do solely one thing, it can kind of burn you out too because mm-hmm. things ebb and flow. Um, last question before we truly do dive into football, RDC zero two D how often do you read the message boards and someone will say something like they quotations? No. And you, you just sit back and laugh and think to yourself if they only knew daily, it's daily. <laughs> I mean, there's, and there's a lot of things that we don't know too, uh, especially like during the COVID year, like not being able to be around, like, but, but no, you, there's things daily, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's our message board, whether it's other places, you see stuff that, that you just know is not factually correct or is like maybe a half truth. That's like part of the story and not all of it. And, and it's just, it's amazing. Like how that gets turned into real information like people just take that as, as gospel a lot of the time and and that's obviously a concerning trend that that goes beyond just you know the fsu message board uh fake news whatnot and stuff so yeah no it happens all the time daily all right football time z knows nine asks returning player you be, believe will make the biggest and uh, see this is why i'm easy for you answering say. questions at 9 a.m uh not so easy to run the point is it chris all right returning player you believe will make the biggest jump from last season newcomer including potential of Kane Madden that you believe will make the biggest impact. Okay. So for, for the newcomer, I can include Kane Madden. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, and we're assuming we're, right now we're recording this on Thursday morning, feeling pretty good about Kane Madden, not a hundred percent, but, but pretty FSU above 50%. We'll say that I would say, um, Kane Madden would be big. I think it's McKenzie Milton though. He's probably going to be quarterback one. He's going to touch the ball every single play. So I think just by default, like the transfer quarterback, the guy who's, who's, running your offense is going to have the biggest impact, whether it's positive or, or negative, uh, that goes to him. Jermaine Johnson would be a close second. 
uh, for me. And then, and then Kane Madden probably would be like, be like third for, for newcomers in terms of a guy who's going to make a jump. Uh, Chris, you're going to roll your eyes here, but I think I'm buying stock in Jerry and Jones right now. I, I knew you were going there. He had a good spring. I have no issue with that. I just, I do need to see him do it in a game, but he did have a yeah. good spring. No, he, he had a disappointing first year at Florida state. He's a guy who came in with some starting experience from Mississippi state was playing injured, was playing within a new scheme, got here, you know, fairly late in the process. So now he has a full time in the system. Uh, he, he did have a good spring. He's still got to get more consistent, but he was making plays, which is something he struggled to do last year. If he couldn't just even, you know, reduce some of the bad and, and, and turn it into the impact plays he was making in the spring, like 10, 20% more like that, that'll be a, a really positive step in the right direction for him. Yeah. And I think that staff has certainly shown that they like the kid Yeah, um, with their actions involving him here recently. GCS Noel asks, what's the starting offensive line? All right. Are we assuming, can we assume for this exercise, Chris Kane Madden in the fold? I'm going to count him. Yes. With, I'll do it with Kane Madden. So Kane Madden, right guard at Marshall. I think you stick him where he's used to put him there. Uh, so that's one. Devontae Love Taylor remains in the starting lineup. I think almost assuredly you put him at a tackle spot, whether it's left or right. Let me see. Let me work this through. So, so Devontae Love Taylor at a tackle spot. I think Maurice Smith at center. I know Dylan Gibbons is brought in as a guard who can maybe snap, uh, but apparently like that was a little dicey in the spring in the Notre Dame at, at Notre Dame, but that's also new for him too. But I'll go with Maurice Smith as a starting center. He was solid there last year. Uh, so that's three. I think you bring in Dylan Gibbons. We've talked about this. Like he at least elevates being the um, the sixth guy in the rotation. Like he he elevates the floor, if you will. The cliche there, checking all the boxes uh, at the offensive line to where he may be the first guy off the bench. But I think he I think he starts. I think you bring him in ultimately to start, and that would be at guard. So I put him at left guard. So that I got my interior there. I think Devontae Le- or Devontae Le- Taylor would end up playing at right tackle in that case. Or, yeah, I'll go Darius Washington, left tackle. Uh, and I know Robert Scott graded out well last year. I know he was a rookie All-American. They did help him out a lot schematically. I think it would be good for him to be the first guy off the bench. If Darius Washington struggles at left tackle, you take Devontae Love Taylor, kick him to the left side, put him at right tackle. I think Pope probably becomes the first guard off the bench in this scenario. So from left to right, working out. Darius Washington, Dylan Gibbons, center Marie Smith, Right guard, Kane Madden, right tackle, Devontae Love-Taylor, uh, with Devontae Love-Taylor being kind of swing tackle or swing guard, depending on what happens injury-wise and production-wise after that. MAT239 asks, will the defense allow under 30 points per game for the season? Um, Yeah, I, I, sure, sure, I guess so. I, I think they will be marginally better just by having a year at Adam Fuller's scheme, him knowing exactly what he has this year, which is something that they did not have the luxury of. Last year, and they're trying to figure it out. So I think they'll be marginally better. What did they give up, like 37 points last year? That sounds game? right. That was very weak-sounding buy of bias. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I don't, feel, I don't feel great about it. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of questions with the depth still, but I do think the – I don't know. I'm I'm getting more excited as I'm writing like about the secondary and like some of the potential that group has. Like if they kind of figure it out and they can generate a pass rush you're, in front of them. You're falling in that off-season trap. And the Kool-Aid is starting to – I got the point of the, of the process where the Kool-Aid package has been ripped open and the water's been poured in the jug and we're about to start stirring it. They got to have a pass rush for them to keep it under 30, in my opinion. I agree. To me, still to be determined. Yep. All right. Mariners 51 ask in your interactions with previous FSU coaches and staff, how does Norvell compare in releasing information? The transparency, I was talking about this with someone the other day, the transparency that Mike Norvell has compared to the other previous staffs has been by far the best. And it's difficult 
to kind of judge it in its entirety because COVID year, like we didn't have full access uh, during the season because of, of health restrictions and, and them just feeling uncomfortable with having people, I think liability and stuff, having people around. But in the spring, I mean, we got to see more practices this past spring that we've probably seen in any springs, combi- all the springs combined, right, Chris? I would say in, in a full spring with Norvell, yes, and three spring or three practices the previous spring. That's more than it, we've seen. It was similar to the late Bowden years. Yeah. So you know that in terms of the information uh, giving us accessibility is really good. Um, he he's done a really nice job in like allowing his like sports information staff to to be a bridge between I can ask them information and, and he can confirm stuff. And uh, so the transparency of the information has been really good. Uh, I will say there are some things like that. He, if he doesn't want to talk about them, like it's nothing like injuries. Like if he wants to not talk about it, he will not elaborate on injuries. So there's a couple other things that like the things he doesn't want to talk about. He's very clear. He does not want to, to talk about them and make those uh accessible that's part of his policy scholarships is another thing like he doesn't want to get into elaboration his program will not get into elaboration on who's on scholarship who is it um that's fine every coach is going to have their thing you know where where they don't feel comfortable sharing uh so for the most part very open very transparent very like liberal in that regard very open media policy um just just a few things that we doesn't want to talk about we're not going to get answers to and clarification uh, directly through the program that's a good bridge to the next question. Bloom 24 asks, Thomas Schrader and Emmett Rice, are they ready for the start of the season? And then Beer and Shoot added, do you know specifics on Rice's injury? I think Beer and Shoot's messing around a little bit because uh, he saw that in other threads. Uh, so the initial intel with Emmett Rice was a knee injury. Um, people were saying maybe ACL. He was observed at the spring game with a walking boot. Now, maybe he messed up his knee and his ankle or your foot, but I think the walking boot to me is probably telling more of a, of a lower leg injury. Um, Thomas Schrader, we saw on the sidelines walking around Chris, and I, mean, I think the initial word was like broken leg, and it seemed like that with an air cast and whatnot, but I mean, he was walking around on the sideline in the spring a couple of weeks after that injury, if I'm not mistaken. And he had, do you have crutches? I don't remember him having crutches offhand. That was about three to four weeks removed from when he actually got banged up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has a, I, I will say this. I don't think he's been, I don't think either have been eliminated from the conversation to play this year. I think right now, I think Emma Rice probably like is the one I've heard like people are more optimistic about. Uh, I think Schrader has a chance to play, but like right now the big issue is like, I don't think he's able to be like a full workout participant. And so if that's the case, that puts him kind of behind the eight ball developmentally to, to be someone who can contribute uh, early in the year. Mr. Foreman asks, what PWOs do you leave off your list, if any? I I gave you guys the names that I had. That you were allowed. No, it wasn't even that it was allowed. It was the names that we had. <laughs> that was not an allowed thing. Uh, we we had a list that we had felt, felt really good about, and we had an additional that we were able to confirm, and that was what we had. Tampa Noel 776 asks, what kind of atmosphere are you expecting for Notre Dame game? And he gives a couple parameters on this. Mm-hmm. Louder than Willie's VT game, you know, when we were swag surfing and felt so good about life till halftime, mm-hmm. or louder than that OU game early in the Jimbo tenure. I was not there for that one. Uh, how would you compare loud. how would you compare that to Virginia Tech? Uh, uh Tech was loud, but truthfully, it did, uh, what, 2014 Notre Dame, late in that game, that place was rocking. That was an insanely loud moment. Um, the OU game here was very, very loud consistently, which was the most impressive thing about that evening is that it kind of never 
fell off. The VT game, obviously, it fell off very quickly. Right. If you can harness like the kickoff and spread it throughout the entire game, but that, that's not how that game played out. I, I do, in my mind, Chris, I, I'm preparing for something similar, pregame atmosphere and like energy, because you can even feel it, like, forget just the volume, like, you can feel the energy in the stadium. I'm feeling like it's going to be similar to the Virginia Tech game in terms of that pregame buzz and in terms of attendance. I, I think people are going to, it's almost going to be like a cathartic experience where people are going to after not being able to to really travel or feel safe traveling or or having limited uh, um uh attendance uh for games last year like regardless of it like people weren't able to experience fsu football at its full capacity last year and and this year i think at least in the opener uh, there will be kind of that like healing cathartic like almost like phil phil mickelson kind of deal like we saw on, on 18 uh the other day um like where there's going to be a ton of people and a ton of energy. I hope it goes well for them though. One thing I'll add is I think the fact that it's a Sunday game and it's a standalone, if you're there, it's undivided attention. You're not going to be on your phone checking scores of other games going on and stuff. So I think there's something to that, that if it, if a little momentum happens early for FSU, I think the crowd could be really rambunctious. I agree. agree. Um, Since we brought up Willie, I figured I'll throw this one in here. Null nation, 1418 asks good. Never before told story on previous staff. He tells you to let loose, drop names, and nobody will ever know. <laughs> okay, well, that that's not how that works. But um, all right, let me think about this real quick. I know this is I'll, I'll let it out, so I'm not pausing, installing. Hang on. Do we want to talk about? I think we've alluded to it before. Do we want to talk about the time, Chris? You were editing all the all the player profiles. Primary versus secondary. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Chris came over for. This is back when we used to do these in person before Zoom and whatnot. And he came over to do a podcast in the morning. Uh, we were at my kitchen table, and, and he was getting texts throughout the time we were recording from from one of the staffers. I will not name names, um, but one of the coaches who was in charge of recruiting, maybe for uh, the Willie Taggart era, and uh, and they were going back and forth. And Chris was getting we could tell body language more frustrated by it at the every like every minute. He was getting more and more frustrated after we finished recording like what's going on he's like i'm trying to clarify i'm getting text messages from different coaches i'm trying to clarify who is the primary for this player and who's the secondary and different coaches were trying to take credit one of the coaches agents was reaching out to chris trying to get to be the primary on it on the player's uh, profile And, and chris was texting back and forth with the recruiting coordinator trying to figure this all out uh it was at least two hours of time that he devoted to that while we were like doing the podcast and post you know, production stuff. And then apparently Chris went home and did it for like another, like four or five hours. Like he spent his entire work day figuring out who the primary was, who the secondary was. And the issue was uh, like two or three fold here. One that there wasn't a clear answer that we can get initially, like the FSU staff didn't know. And two, that different coaches were like jockeying for like who was getting the credit and they cared about it to the extent of like, agents calling and they were reaching out to Chris and like they were having like their friends reach out to Chris and trying to figure that all out. So uh, to kind of give you guys a glimpse and that was in the off season going into year two with Willie reasons why we were starting to become very skeptical of that staff at that time. I think it's like a microcosm of like, okay, there was an organization to where like they could answer that straight up. Uh, The people in charge of like recruiting couldn't give us clear answers necessarily. And then two, 
uh, the fact that they cared that profoundly and there was that much time and that much of a pissing match over like who's a primary and who's a secondary on a, on a recruit showed like best interest rather than like who, like this staff currently for Mike Norvell, like they don't care. Uh, I have not gotten they that recruit vibe as once. a staff and they and do. They're, they're comfortable yeah. with that. And us putting yeah. a primary and a secondary on a guy. And in truth, there's a lot of times three or four guys on a certain recruit. So there, there would be a kid, for example, who I have a good relationship with. And he's told me, you know, oh, coach X is my dude. The reason I'm going there is coach X. So I have coach X as primary. Then I'm told coach X isn't primary by somebody else on the staff to put coach Y. So I put coach Y because I've been told this by the staff. Coach X calls me. He's like, what the hell? I'm like, Hey, I'm with you. What the hell? It, it was nuts. It was so stupid. I think by the end of that, I just told one person, like, what you tell me is what I'm going to put. If anybody has an issue with it, they can take it up with you. So I think that was a good example of it. And that was Chris's story. I, mean, I, had, I had one, like, assistant reach out to me early on in the 2019 season. It was just, like about Jaden Lars would be moving a linebacker and implied strongly. He's like, I mean, you guys are way too hard on Harlan. Like, that's not even his choice. I was like, what? Like moving like what? Like Jaden? He's like, yeah. And start digging more and more on it, and like come to find out, and that's when we started kind of realizing like that that scheme was being stuffed down Harlan's throat. And then the Jim Levitt stuff like happened a couple weeks later. Uh, Jaden Lars would be ends up moving back to his more natural position, uh, and then at the end of the year, like or like uh, actually like a year later, come to find out that like yeah, like, that was all like basically forced on Harlan. And, and on top of that, like the coaching staff then was so. In- competent that like guys who were hired for certain roles were like having to get switched around so they could add more support staff. It was, it was a mess. I noted this incorrectly. So I'm somebody that asked a previous question. I think the one about Bryson Schrader's injury also asked what's the bottom line record Norville and company have to have to avoid fan backlash this season. Six and six, everything's fixed. I think that's a magic number. No, I, I agree. Think, I, I think it's six and six and keep the recruiting class. And I think six and six largely does that. I guess it depends like kind of where those wins fall and, and whatnot. But and I think there may be Chris is a scenario for like if you get five wins and if you're winning some of those games, you're not quote unquote supposed to on the back end of the schedule. Maybe like if you show growth and have some positive momentum, like maybe five wins does it. But I think it's a pretty thin line between people being satisfied and, and unsatisfied with the season. And um, it's a big year to to keep the recruiting class together. I think six ones does that. I think if you get below it, uh, it can start getting dicey. So obviously with COVID last year, it wiped out pregame fanfare type stuff. So war chief asked, um, apparently Norvell at Memphis did what they called the legacy walk there, which was current players walking through a crowd of former players, as well as others on their way into the stadium with everything changing here and us getting somewhat back to normal and hopefully very normal by the time August, September rolls around. Uh, do you think Norvell opens goes with the same idea, especially with the fact that he's working so hard to build relationships with former players here. I think he does. I haven't heard that officially yet, but I mean, he, we've seen even like the youth clinics, like not only is it in an attempt, I mean, there's multi, you know, multiple things with the youth clinic, uh, which have apparently been a really you know, smashing success. I mean, staff building chemistry, uh, getting inroads to not just the players who are there, but like their parents and, and coaches in, in different areas to kind of create, the FSU brand and, and connections and relationships with, with uh, people for down the road. But, but also like we saw like James Wilder hanging out. We saw Chris Thompson show up. Uh, who else there? I think Freddie Stevenson was around in Polk. Like there, there's been different players coming back and, and being part of these, which has been really cool. Yeah. EJ Manuel was down South. Um, yeah. Marcus White was another so, guy that dropped in. So, 
And then even like the current players are going to these things too. Like I think Jay Sean Corbin was down in the Brevard one. And I think uh, Darius Washington and Keyshawn Hilton were supposed to be at the Pensacola one yesterday. So they are trying to bridge it. Uh, and, and I think that's an effective way to go about doing things. So yeah, I think Norvell showing an ability to like, okay, we have to, and it's not just like one of the things like with the Willie staff was they did a great job connecting with the big time names, like the, like the Dick, uh, I almost said the Caitlin Brooks, uh, the Derek Brooks Peter of the Ward. world, the Charlie Ward. Yeah. Um, but I think some of the guys like that next year so felt like a little distant still and didn't feel like there was as much of an outreach. So uh, big, small, uh, anyone who played for FSU, I think will be welcome back and, and be a part of, of the program to some extent or another moving forward. NYC 092 wants to know if he makes you a Dr. Dabo shirt, will you wear it when you come to Clemson game this year? For the, for the record, he didn't say he would make it, but I'm just putting him on the spot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if you're going to get me to wear, it, I'm not paying for one. Um, I don't think I would wear it to a game that would be unprofessional. And as much as I like to joke around and have fun, I do have some standards for professionalism, like in the actual workplace. I would wear it like on a podcast or like a, like a Facebook live or something like, you know what, if FSU, I'll put it this way. If FSU, whenever FSU beats Clemson, whether it's this year, whether it's a year or two down the road, if Dabo, Dabo Sweeney is still at Clemson, I will wear a Dr. Dabo shirt like all, all right. week and we can put it on, you know, we can do these, uh, these shows on YouTube and, and everyone will see me rocking it. Savvy Snow asks, if you could ask the new FSU president elect, elect, <clears throat> sorry, one question about athletics, what would that question be? who's your new athletic director going to be? <laughs> he has to answer it. Right. Um, I think that would be like the one that's on everyone's mind is like who, who the athletic director is going to be. Um, yeah. I, I think that would be my, my first question. And I would also want to know like the role more generally, like what the role, like uh, how involved he is going to be in athletics. Uh, some presidents are very hands-on and yeah, they have like this idea of like who they want to hire for the athletic department position or the AD position, how they want the athletic department to run. And, and some are more hands-off. So I think just kind of getting his idea. And he obviously clearly is someone who cares about sports. I think he's kind of indicated that much. He pays attention to it, but he's going to be hands-on with it as you can kind of let the, the athletic department just do what the athletic department does. So yeah, just general like idea of, of how he wants that part of his university to, uh, to be operated. All right, diving into some recruiting, not too much because I know it's not your area, but thought this was a very good question. AFF, AVF03 asks, what recruiting tactics have you seen employed by other schools that you think they should use here? I'm all for the Alabama shotgun approach. Like, hey, we're just going to take on all these guys and we'll we'll figure out the scholarships later. I'm all I'm all for that. Let the NCAA yeah, come after me. How's that they're working? Draft, they're drafting, not recruiting. <laughs> well, they, they do that. But it, like, isn't that weird? Like the, all the guys that would, how many, like, what are they up to like 30 or so for like, and we don't know if all of them are on scholarship, but they are getting a ton of transfers and commitments. And I'm not sure how that's all working to be honest. Nick doesn't always like the rules, but he always uses them to his advantage. <laughs> Italian Rose asks what high school signing in 2021 makes the largest impact this season. Uh, I think, I mean, Destin Hill would be the, the first thing that comes to mind. I think someone at a skill position because it's easier to do. There's a need for it. Uh, it's easier to transition. That's what I what I meant to say from high school to to college at skill positions. Uh, so Destin Hill, maybe Malik McLean, given that he was here in the spring and, and flashed some, and clearly like he's someone who can who can help out in some capacity. Uh, so I'd go with I guess either of those two guys. MJ Willis asks, "What do guys like Aaron Hester and Devon Moore have to do to earn a fourth star?" 
get it done, Sinone. Get them a four. <laughs> I, I, I'm controlling it. The, the Sinone bump, the Brendan bump, uh, not the Burke bump. Uh, I think for Mortimer, I think it's more about like in-game production. Uh, I think he had like 300 so receiving yards in six games last year, which is fine for the for the prep level. He apparently had a really good spring game uh, last night. Uh, I think for him more so, like the testing is going to be pretty good for him. Uh, he's in the 10-7 range for the 100 meter. He's well on the radar for for Andrew Ivins or a regional guy. Like he knows what he can do and likes him. I think it's about like dominating high school games and not just being someone who's like making like splash plays, but being someone who takes the next step to who's controlling uh, the course of a game, whether it's through the air as like a, a running back or, you know, jet sweep kind of specialist. Uh, so I think that's the next step for him to, to get that bump. For Aaron Hester, I think it's kind of the opposite because he is very productive. I think it's like if he goes to any camps or anything over the summer, uh, good testing numbers for him uh, because to me he he stands out as someone who's very solid very strong uh with decent athleticism but like that's what shows up on 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 the tape but i would need to i think see like verified like really top tier times to kind of say okay we're, we're saying like his threshold is like as a high-end potential athlete is is maybe higher than we initially expected does that make sense chris yeah, I think Hester is a guy who there's been a limited view of. It's basically all based on film. He, he's not – I mean, Mortimer is one of these guys that he goes to seven-ons and puts on a show, so he's more known in that capacity. So now it's about producing on Friday, Saturday night, or mostly Friday nights. And I think it's kind of the opposite for Hester where he produces really well on Friday night, which should matter more than anything in my opinion. But it's still a limited view. That's really all we know about him in the sense of the scouting community. Mm-hmm. CT Wells 40 as most underrated and overrated recruiter on the current staff. <laughs> okay. Um, underrated. I'm going to go John Papuchas for underrated. I And I think the secret is kind of coming out that he's a really good recruiter. I mean, the defensive end class that he helped to put together last year was, was probably one of the better position groups between George Wilson, uh, Byron Turner, who, who coach Hackett's thesis for, I think on that. And then um, uh, Patrick Payton uh, as well. So two, four stars and high end three star, at a position of need, I think that's good. It's going to be big for JP this year to kind of close on, on whether it's Marvin Jones Jr. or some of the other high-end defensive ends that they're they're going after because they they still have room for playing time to sell. So you know you would hope that, that he can he can sell that and get a blue chip or athlete or two at that position. But I think he does a very good job in maintaining consistent contact and relationships with the with a wide array of guys. Uh, so yeah, that first tier is probably like. Marcus Woodson's obviously proven to be elite. Kenny Dillingham, Alex Atkins, and I think JP's like enters that conversation. Uh, under or overrated? I mean, I don't think there's anyone on staff that someone is saying like, "Oh, this person's an alpha dog as a recruiter." And like when we're looking at each other, be like, "Eh." Uh, I would say I would like to see more production at the position groups from David Johnson, who who did have a reputation as a really strong recruiter. Now he gets Destin Hill the top recruit in the class last year. So he gets credit for that. He helps out with Byron Turner and he helps out with a lot of other areas as well, but would like to see him get like a, a blue chip running back in this class. I think that'd be really important for, for FSU long-term. And given that he is an, supposed to be like an ace recruiter and the recruiting coordinator would like for him to, to, to really step up in that area. Uh, and Chris Marv, I, I would like to see a little bit more from on the recruiting trail for the linebacker position. I think it's going to be an important close to the class for him, whether you get like Jerron Willis or a, uh, Oh, what's the kid from Miami Central? Biz Bisman Bisman Wesley Bisaint Bisaint. I can't say the name Um Yeah, so I think it'd be big for for those 
those two guys to kind of close strong and get some of the, the blue chip guys that they're recruiting. Last recruiting question, and I'll let you off this part of the hot seat. Big drip null. At this time last year, Hunter Washington committed to FSU, kind of out of nowhere. Is there a prospect that you could envision committing to FSU that the fan base isn't necessarily aware of or expecting at this time? If so, who? I'm going to defer that to you, Chris. But you think back on the hot seat. I think Kendrick Law is a guy that kind of falls in that category. Ooh. Now, I have Law actually crystal ball to LSU. I think if he plays a long game, LSU's in a better position. But if he makes like a June decision, I think FSU has a real legitimate shot. He's supposed to take an official here in September. I think he shows up here at least once before then. If you can get him here before that September visit, I think that's a really positive sign. Plus, Louisiana kid, DJ, has got good relationships over there. Mm-hmm. Talented kid, versatile. He can do a lot of things. He's a guy that FSU has been hot and heavy on for a long time, even though we don't write a ton about him. Um, you know, we have discussed him, but I think he can be a big one. All right. Here's the fun portion of the show. Your life. Newton, <laughs> a.k.a. your no, boyfriend. No. Have you ever replied to a poster while sitting on the toilet? I've done radio interviews while sitting on the toilet. I never do anything like that. No, no, you never do anything <laughs> like that. TB3 Golf 714 asks, would you rather spend every day as Willie Taggart's assistant or never mention UCF's national championship ever again? I mean, I do love mentioning UCF's national championship, mainly because it just bothers people. I thought the whole thing was ridiculous at first, but then I saw how much it was irritating people, and I was all for it. Uh, I don't think being Willie Taggart's personal assistant would be all that difficult, though. So I imagine I could compensate it pretty well. And, like, clearly, like, no, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to throw that much shade. Um, you know, I think it'd be fun to be part of a college football staff, regardless of the staff. Willie Taggart, assistant. AVF03 asks, peanut butter and jelly or grilled cheese? I People are going to make fun of me. I have a really hard time making grilled cheese sandwiches. You, you butter the bread. No, I understand. You put the, cheese on it and you put it on there. I struggle to get the crispy, like golden brown crust uh, of the bread. Um, Like I usually burn it. And I feel like it doesn't matter how low and slow I do it. Like I burn it all the time. Um, So, I mean, a a well-made grilled cheese sandwich, like done on like some sourdough bread or something could be pretty elite. I I would go grilled cheese, but you know what? I'm going to say just for like my own skills, uh, PB&J has never done me wrong. I'll go PB&J. Mr. McGee, whose first name I'm editing because I'm making sure there might be children in the car. Favorite place to eat in Orlando? Ooh, pom-poms. Pom-poms does sandwiches much better than I do. I think they would know how to to properly toast a grilled cheese sandwich. It's located just kind of outside downtown, uh, kind of off a colonial area. And I think they they now have opened up a place in St. Pete too, but they do some amazing sandwiches like they have a pb and j that's like a triple stack like peanut butter jelly fluffernutter and it's like on like six pieces of bread it's delicious they have a, a they call it mama linglings thanksgiving feast and it is turkey mashed potatoes uh gravy stuffing um cranberry sauce they they do a really good job Pom-poms. i always wonder how i'm the fattest one when i talk to you about I, food i mean i do love food you love food Mm-hmm. Uh, Noel Fan Pete coming to Telly for the first time in five years. I believe he's coming in September. Yeah. What one restaurant do I have to eat at? Ooh, um, I feel like I, mean, I guess it depends what you're in the mood for, right? But but Cool Beans I think would be like a pretty versatile, like nice restaurant. It's not super fancy. Like you could be dressed casually and go there, but like get a really good fresh meal. 
Uh, let's see if you are doing something more like wanting just to kind of chill, throw back some beards, go to birds and get uh, either their, their oysters or uh, or their burgers really elite. Their onion rings are really good and they have a really good beer selection. And if you're feeling a little crazy, go up to Thomasville and go to Jonah's and get some amazing seafood. So it kind of depends where you're coming from, what you can normally get and what you're in the mood for um, in Tallahassee. Is there anything you would add to that, Chris? Uh, also a big fan of Midtown Caboose. I went there um, yesterday for lunch with my mom. Yeah, that's another one. I agree with all the ones you mentioned. Uh, there's plenty of good places to eat in town. There's also some new places coming into town, so we shall see. Hmm. Um, NRG. I, I dated a girl. Oh, who, yeah, it's fine. This is a good transition. The next two no, questions okay. have to, or two and a half questions have to do with dates. I dated. Ooh, I dated a girl who uh, who worked at Midtown Caboose when it first opened. And her, she has a a. a Menu item on the sam or a sandwich like menu item uh, on the menu named after her. Oh, yeah, just saying. NRG asks best date where to and what do you do? Uh, I am an introvert. I dislike most people. I certainly dislike crowds. Uh, I love just like renting a, a movie and getting some pizza and having a beer and cuddling on the couch with my wife and my dog. That sounds nice. We do go to St. Mark's a lot. We really love St. Mark's and kind of. Uh, exploring and going to different places and different trails, kayaking stuff. So we do like do a lot of outdoor stuff, but, but typically like you think if it's like a quote on like date, like with food and, and drinks. Yeah. I like to just kind of chill at home. NYC Noel 92 asked, did Corey Clark ever give you back your shirt? You lent him for his first date. Nope. Never did. He, he said, <laughs> I can't say it. Children listening to the podcast. Nope. Chris, you were Something. on my, you were on my first date with Ashley. I do remember that. Cause you were at a what tap room. Uh, yeah, that where you yeah, ended up, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so was Wayne McGay. He ended up uh, being at the end of the night when I was going to contemplate whether to give Ashley a good night kiss or not on the first day. You know, that was a neurotic moment for me. And, and Wayne and uh, Tackett, right? Dustin Tackett, Tack yeah. Daddy, uh, walked by the car as I was dropping her off at her car. And like, like, ta- and it's funny, only you and I usually tell everyone everything, but only you and Tackett knew I was going on a first date. And I somehow saw both of you and Tackett walked by the car and uh and blocked me real bad. He, he like knocked on the window and then like ran away. <laughs> that was the end of the evening. Sunday gold asked Bill Gates has reached out to you about taking your significant other on a trip for the weekend. <laughs> What's your reaction asking price? Oh, this is a little uncomfortable. This kind of, kind of feels adjacent to like prostitution. Doesn't it? Right. Help me out here. It's There's just an indecent proposal. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously it, depends on whether Ashley's okay with it. I mean, if it's just a date, like they're just going out, uh, you know, start the price at a million dollars, I guess. It's just only, lunch, right? She's only worth a million to you. What kind of husband uh, are you? I mean, we're not saying that I'm losing her or that she's doing anything with Bill Gates, right? They're just, he's just taking her on a date. Dude, if I'm paying a million dollars, I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. I would go on a date with Bill Gates for a million dollars. I would do it for a lot less. Things are getting weird. Things are getting weird. All right. Savvy's and all ass. What's the number one place you want to travel to and why? Basically your ultimate bucket list location. Oh, um, so I did Italy when I was younger, like, like just out of high school. Like that was my graduation gift. And I feel like I wasn't quite like able to appreciate it, uh, as much as maybe I would now. Uh, and I'm half Italian, half Irish. So I would love to do like Italy again and Ireland and kind of, you know, go, go to the motherland and, 
and check out both of those places. But honestly, before I go like abroad, man, I really want to do, it's going to sound kind of like campy and cliche. Like I want to do like a tour of like different places in America. Like I want to see Yellowstone. I want to do the Grand Canyon. I want to do like Redwood Forest and Pacific Northwest. Like I want to see like what this country has to offer. Cause I feel like there's a lot of places I haven't gotten to see outside of like the, the Atlantic coast. Um, yeah. So I would like to kind of expand. I'd like to go back to Key West as well. I haven't done that since I was like five. So I want to just kind of do like an American tour. And we're talking about like doing that in the next couple of years, like getting like a, an RV with Ashley's folks and my mom and just kind of going around the country, like over the summer for like a month and, and doing that. I've been to most places in the U S but I do want to get to like the Dakotas and Montana. I've never mm-hmm. been up there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I love that. Ireland. Ireland's probably the best place I've ever been. Health Ireland was phenomenal. Um, it's a little seaport town. Did you get a Guinness? Uh, I had many a Guinness. Uh, I bet many. you did. Bet you good did. good trip, though. I went to London and Ireland back-to-back, and those were both phenomenal. Was London cool? Because I would like to do London. London was too. cool, yeah. So we, we went with another couple we're real good friends with, and we enjoyed the heck out of both of those trips. Mm-hmm. Did, like, I think nine, ten days overall, over the two trips. Um, but, yeah, good times. All right. Now we're into your real love, though, bourbon. Eleanor <laughs> one asks, is the only difference between a bur- bourbon connoisseur and an alcoholic the fact that you're picky with your bourbon, or is there more that goes into it? Bye. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good excuse to uh, to drink bourbon is to be like, oh, I'm getting all these tasty notes and, and act like you're all sophisticated about it. But really, just it's the process of drinking bourbon. Um, I don't think I'm an alcoholic, though. Noel Fielding asks, if you could get one bottle of any bourbon, but you had to kill Newburgh to get it, would you? And if so, what bourbon? <laughs> no, would I would be? not kill. I would not. Bourbon is not worth murder. I don't know. <laughs> Golden Hill Knoll asks, whiskey related. Can you review any of these? And he provided a link, which I know you've looked at because we pre-showed this. As a whiskey collector, whom is black, I wanted to see if there were any black-owned whiskey distilleries. There's nowhere near enough. Would like to see if you've tried any of these and would you buy and review? He's trying to hunt for him. He's out in San Diego and he only has access to a couple on that website. Yeah. And I looked over that list and I only have access to the only one I can think of that I have like legitimate regular access to is the uncle nearest, uh, which is a Tennessee style whiskey. And I think uncle nearest was like the, was the initial Cooper. He has a background where he was African-American. He was the initial Cooper, I think for Jack Daniels. It was one of the other Tennessee whiskey places, um, but that brand has taken off like really, really fast. Apparently, it's really good. I actually had someone text me this morning just out of the blue talking about Uncle Nearest, and they they love it like in mules, and um, and it's like a great mixer. I have a big regret because a few months ago, they had at Publix Uncle Nearest buy one, get one free for like their 100 proof one, and I didn't get it because I hadn't heard reviews on it at the time, and I didn't want to spend $50 on a, on a bottle that I didn't know much about. And then and since then, apparently it's gotten really good reviews and consider a really good, strong whiskey. And I just haven't tried it yet. But but yeah, that's one that, that if I see it on sale again, and I know it's at Costco sometimes, but I want to get the 100 proof one. If I see it on sale, I like get the ABC by me. I'll, I'll, I'll do a review on that because I've heard good things at this point. I think it's probably worth owning a bottle. J-Rod31 continues the trend. If you had to jump into a pool of bourbon, what bourbon would it be in that pool? <laughs> Uh, probably a pool of Pappy would be of Pappy Van Winkle would be quite the uh, the site there. Uh, it, it, that's an expensive bath. Adley Canada asks best whiskey that you tried or had, best whiskey that's currently in your collection, and what's on your next big whiskey purchase list. Uh, I 
I mean, the best one that I, I've had is the one that I own. I mean, I, people have Pappy Fatigue, but but I do have a 15-year-old Pappy Van Winkle. It is exceptional. The nose is brilliant. Like it's one of the like the most like pleasant smelling whiskeys uh, that that I've ever ever. It is the most. It's it's amazing. It, I understand why the hype is such as it is. It's probably not worth the thousand dollars that people pay for it. Don't worry, I, I didn't pay a thousand. I, I was able to, to score it for a reasonable price. The taste is great too. There, there's a reason why the, those are so highly sought after. Uh, but then also George T. Stag. Uh, which is like 120 proof bourbon, but doesn't drink like it. And it's just, it's everything good about bourbon. It's vanilla, oaky, brown sugar, uh, caramel, cherry, but it's all just like amped up to like, to 11. Like it's all just really good. And I have a bottle of George T. Stag 2018, but I tried the 2019 one and it was even better. And I don't think I'll be able to get my hands on it. So that's the, the 2019 might be the best I've had. Uh, and I just, I, I probably won't be able to get it. Uh, in terms of stuff that's on my list, I don't know. I would like to really get an Old Forester birthday bourbon. Those have become really hard to get. Um, I know my boy Bud Elliott has a couple. Maybe we can all peer pressure him to, to share a bottle with me. Let's do that. Let's start Let's start a trend. Did you know there's a double, double oaked? So like a quadruple oaked? I don't know if it's technically quadruple, but it's a double, double oaked. It's a Woodford, mm-hmm. but it's not the double oaked. It's double, double. A friend of mine who I've shared their collection with you before via video, mm-hmm. yeah, they, have a good um, one. they have one of those bottles. I've not yet tried it, but I Ooh, will at I some point should, over there. You should. So when we went up to Louisville a couple of years ago, this is not the year I got shittered and then the uh the rain started pouring on, on my head within chris's cars thank evening. god we weren't in a rental car because i never would have been able to do that <laughs> curve for you <laughs> no, the two, so it was two years after that we went to uh to louisville we did a distillery tour at woodford with wayne uh so chris wayne and i went there and at the very end of the tour we did there they do like a tasting and chris the entire tour had been talking about how good the double oaked is how good the double oaked is i done had it, it. And, and they ask, has anyone ever tried the tour guy goes, has anyone ever tried the double oaked? And Chris raises his hand and goes, <laughs> and just started like giggling maniacally at it. He was so excited because he knew what was next, which was him getting to taste it. It's amazing. Like how much like just aging that like another like seven months in, in a toasted barrel does for it, Chris. Like the, the difference between that and then the, the regular Woodford is so drastic and, and interesting. Um, yeah, it's really good stuff. All right, so we're going to tie football and bourbon all together. Really miss Greg Reed, to be honest, ask. If these players were a bourbon, what uh, bourbon would they be? And we'll go uh, one by one. So we'll start with Jermaine Johnson. Okay. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, I'm going to say Henry McKenna, 10-year bottle and bond. Uh, you know what you're getting. It's going. There's a baseline of competency for that. And depending on, like, when you – like, the value, like, they may have gotten, like, buy low end on Jermaine Johnson. If he turns out to be, like, a second or third round draft pick – uh, getting him in the transfer portal is a huge, a, you know, a huge deal. Henry McKenna, a few years ago, you could get it for thirty dollars. I had like three or four bottles at thirty dollars a piece. Uh, now on the market, it probably goes for eighty to a hundred dollars. So uh, depending on when you got it, extraordinary value. But regardless of what you pay, just very, very solid. I think that's what Jermaine Johnson is going to be. Someone who's very solid, but but maybe potentially really, really good. Akeem Dent. Uh oh. Um, Blanton's potential. Some cool like. You know, Blanton's has, has really great marketing and packaging and, and uh, is good. There's 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 competency to it, but, but probably a little overhyped and, and overpriced right now. Uh, so I would say that about Akeem Dent has has potential, has done some things that kind of uh, pass the eye test, but but right now hasn't lived up to his five-star status. Destin Hill. Ooh, uh, let me look. I'm looking at my collection behind me here. Okay, your cheat sheet. 
Yes, 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 yes. What's fast and electric and gets you there quickly? Uh, I'm looking at the the wild turkey rare breed rye it is high proof, like up to 115 proof. So it gets you there quickly. It is spicy. It is very unique. And, uh, and, and yeah, and it's also diverse too. You can put it in, in, uh, some old fashions and it's going to hold up extremely well because of the proof and the, uh, the rye spice, but also, uh, you know, it's good neat. So someone who could run the ball, who can receive the ball, help it on special teams. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. It's someone who's very electric, and I think it's an electric whiskey. You thought Akeem Dent was a hard one. Chaz Neal. Mellow Corn. Uh, if you know, you know. Kane Madden. Ooh. Kane Madden sounds like an Irish whiskey, doesn't it? Yeah. Kane Madden. A good masher. <laughs> Kane, Kane Madden sounds like, like a 12-year Irish whiskey. You know what? Right now, for FSU's needs, man, uh, and for what his significance would be optically and just to help out the offensive line at a huge position to need, as far as FSU is concerned, he's Pappy Van Winkle, in my mind. You love you some Pappy. I mean, sue me. It's one of the best bourbons out there. Yeah. All right. Two to go. Mr. Foreman asks, buy or own, you could take Josh in a fight. Uh, Bye. I... I feel like my skills, my brute strength is completely undercut because you guys think I'm soft, which emotionally I am, but physically, physically, I think I could handle my own. I've never seen you in a fight. I've seen Josh in a minor scuffle. Have you really? Yeah. One night leaving a Bullwinkles and poor Paul's in that area. Oh, was that the same one that ended with him throwing up red velvet donuts? Yes. Oh, yes, okay. it was. He got into a fight? Um, I wouldn't really call it a fight. It was a scuffle. How did he do? I don't remember. I dislocated my knee and fell to the ground, so I didn't really take it all in. I more was pupping the knee back in place and saying, you know, we should probably go. There's a cop in the parking lot. Uh, uh, okay. J-Rod31 also asked if the staff secretly loves Bayer Sinone. And by staff, I believe he means us and not yeah. Norvell and company. I can't imagine Mike Norvell's listening to Bayer I'm sure Sinone. Kenny loves it. Kenny's <laughs> probably taking that in and just loving it. I Coach, like- they did Bayer Sinone today. you got to listen. <laughs> I do feel like Kenny and I are cut from the similar cloth, like things that he enjoys and I enjoy, uh, but he's, he's got more alpha dog personality. That's why he's in, uh, he's in Gryffindor house and I'm in Hufflepuff ultimately. Um, Byers, I'm going to say bye. Uh, Josh, the first time it was funny. The first time I, I threw that out there, his response to it, it was like, it was like he'd been with a partner for a really long time. And they, they whipped out a new move in the bedroom. Like he was like, Oh, what's this? Whoa. Hello. And so, yeah, he, uh, he seemed really to enjoy it. He loves it when I ask the questions. He hated when you guys listeners ask the questions. Sorry about that. Uh, And I think Chris likes it too. Chris seems to get into it. it. It's it's a fun way to distribute information uh, and poke fun of me at the same time. I like the ones that feel firmly fall in the middle when you make me pick. (laughs) Very much enjoy those. That's the, that's the point of the game sometimes. Bye. Good times. All right. Maybe Sonone will maybe Sonone will be good and go back in the thread like I did yesterday and answer some of the ones that weren't asked. I will. I think I have a few more message board. I've been slacking this month. I have a few more message board posts to do by the end but of the month. Um, I think we far exceeded over the fifty percent amount that was asked and that are allowed on such broadcasts as this. So good times. Oh, <laughs> uh, this was We're, fun. Yeah, thank you everyone for participating for asking questions. Uh, I, I will say the question game as it went on, you guys kind of figured out what we were trying to do. Got increasingly strong, especially the Zach and Chris questions, because um, 
they don't get the Josh and I do the AMA stuff like once a month on the message board just for fun. They don't get the access to you guys. Did you enjoy it, Chris? Loved it. No, no I actually enjoyed it. I was fine with it. I, I don't mind having that. And I, you know, I think some people were taken aback or surprised by how I spoke of Jimbo, but it was kind of like, yeah, you, know, you asked me, you want my honest opinion. You got my honest opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, he he treated us poorly. I don't know how else to say that. It's not even like a he, he treated the media poorly. I, I don't. There's no need yeah. to get back into it. But I nope. mean, it's not not a surprise that there would be a little bit of of ill will there because uh, he treated a lot of people poorly, to be honest. Um, at the end. But anyways, yes, yeah, I'm going down that rabbit hole. So this was fun. We appreciate everyone for listening, uh, for taking part of this. Hopefully, this will kind of give you guys some stuff to listen to if you're traveling uh, for the holiday weekend, or, or just to kind of get you through the next. A few days here because once June 1st hits, uh, especially, I mean, there's gonna be a ton of people coming to visit and obviously the mega camp on June 6th. So Knowles 24 seven is going to be rocking. This is kind of like the final part of the slow season, right? And then it's then June and July are here and then it's going to be, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong. I'm looking forward to it, Chris. Are you looking forward to being back on the bench? Yeah, I'm looking forward to being out there. I'll be miserable by June 25th or so because I'll feel like I've been out there for 25 straight days. But no, I'm looking forward to it. I've missed it. I enjoy it. I love the in-person evaluation. I'm also looking forward to actually spending some time in person around the staff and also taking them, taking in them doing their job because I do enjoy that avenue of it. And I've missed that greatly over the last year. Yeah, we haven't gotten to see the staff really do that. So it'll be fun and, and interesting to see that dynamic at play. All right. Uh, for Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Thank you again, everyone, for participating in the Ask Me Anything series. I think this was fun. Uh, maybe we could do that again next year around May 2 when things get a little slow. But for now, uh, enjoy the holiday weekend. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Five-star reviews, please, for On the Bench. Uh, sticking the landing. I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!